Well, good morning. Good to see you here today. We are um, looking forward to a great time tonight. I do hope you'll be here be tonight at 6 o'clock downstairs. We are going to have a great time celebrating our freedom uh, as a country. And uh, so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about a little bit is the freedom, the wonderful freedom that we have as a church to, to worship the Lord. So um, take your Bibles and turn over to Revelation chapter 19, and that's where we're going to begin this morning. Pastor Dan is um, in Memphis, uh, actually Coldwater, Mississippi. Kathy, his wife's uh, brother, passed away this week. So uh, Dan asked me to share this morning, uh, so I look forward to that privilege of sharing with you today. Um, in Revelation chapter 19, where we're going to launch our Bible study and our, our time together this morning, is really a, a, a revelation that God gave John on, while he was in exile on the island of Patmos. And as he was on that island, he had this vision of worship that was going to take place in heaven. And you know... We better get ready to worship because that's what we're going to do in heaven and, and we're going to have that freedom. And so the doorway, the cur curtain is, poured, is pulled back in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. It says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of her, his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And, 20, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell face down and worshipped God who is seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his saints, you who fear him, small and great. And so here's an admonition from the throne to praise God, all his saints, those who fear him, small and great. And so there seems to be in, throughout Scripture, for the believer, for the person who gets into a relationship with God to give him praise. And that praise comes out as we, as we interact with God, as we become a believer. I became a believer when I was 17. Up to that point, I had a religion. I had been to church every day, you know, every Sunday, all my life. But it was when I entered into a relationship with God, I began to walk with Him and discover characteristics about Him that I needed to praise Him, to praise who He is, His qualities. And that's what we are going to do in heaven, and that's what we do here on earth now. We share with one another, we give praise uh, to who God is. This morning, um, I've, I've, I've heard about, they have these things called open mics. Well, we're not going to have an open mic night uh, morning. 
But we're going to have something kind of like that. In my mind, I'm a very imaginative thinker. I think, uh, what would it be like if we had believers from Old Testament, New Testament, and present day to, to come to this microphone? If we were to set up this microphone and turn it on as it is right here, and we were to set it up, uh, just say right here, for saints to uh, come to the microphone uh, who would step up? You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And I know that's from Hebrews chapter 11, those saints, but I believe it really represents that there is a, an audience of saints that have gone on to be with the Lord, uh, that had an, a relationship with God. Which of those saints, if they were to step up to this microphone... What would they tell us this morning? The beautiful thing is we have Scripture that we could get an idea of what they might say. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to visit, we're going to imagine some saints of God stepping to this microphone and what would they say. But also, we're going to have, I've asked three saints, three believers. The word saint is the word believer. We become saints once we become a believer. That's a Christian term. I've asked three believers to come this morning to come and share along with the saints of Scripture. Uh, thus, I've entitled our message, Lessons from Heaven and Testimonies from Earth. So that's that kind of the idea. So you've got to use your imagination. So go with me now. We're going to ask, first of all, out of, the, uh, the, 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 uh, out of that cloud of witnesses, uh, first comes a man named Gideon. Would you take your Bible and turn with me over to Judges, Judges chapter 6. Because one of the things that I believe is a temptation that can happen is we can begin to think of people in Scripture as ink and paper rather than flesh and blood. But believe it, Every person in Scripture had a mother and a father. They played games. They cried. They had crushes on... The girls had crushes uh, on, on, on boys and boys on girls. And they, 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 they lived life and they cried and they laughed. And Gideon was a guy that lived in this day and time. And there was a lot of turmoil going on. And we pick up in Judges chapter 6. Let's read the first three verses. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the, Midian, the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel because of Midian, the people of Israel, made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. So we see what's happening here is Israel plants these crops and they are un and these Midianites or these Amalekites would come in and just devastate their crops. So Gideon gets an idea. We pick it up in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord uh, came and sat down under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while the son Gideon was beating out wheat 
in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, one of the things that we do find and discover that in verse 37 of chapter 6, he had a threshing floor. A threshing floor was at ground level. A wine press was dug down, and he could get down in the wine press and thresh this wheat so that the Midianites maybe wouldn't see it. And so he had a threshing floor, but he wasn't using it because he was hiding it. All right? So with that in mind, we see, we pick up, In verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord, Yahweh is the word here, is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recanted to us? Did not the Lord bring us up out of from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. And do not say, Do not, do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? I'd like if you have a pen and you have your own Bible, just underline those words. How can I? How can I save Israel? How can I? Isn't that kind of what we do? Don't we kind of come and say, you know, when God calls us to do something, the first thing we do, we take a a kind of an inventory of our ability. How can I do this? How can I achieve what God's calling me to do? Well, this is, please, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to me, but I will. Take your pen and underline those three words. But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midians as one man. And the point that I want to make that I believe Gideon would say to us today would be this. He would say, I praise the Lord God because he was the only one who saw my hidden potential. And the point that I want to make to us is God sees your hidden potential. And it isn't about how smart you are because, again, the idea is God loves to use people that are inadequate. And my question to you today is maybe you're hiding in a wine press because there are things coming against you from your past that are screaming from you from maybe your peers saying you are the weakest of your clan, but I'm here to tell you that God sees each of you and your potential in him. And the, and the thing isn't about how great you are, but it's how great God can work in you and through you. And when he uses a weak vessel like myself or all of you, he gets the glory. So I think the first thing that we would get from Gideon would he would say, don't look in, look up. Find out what God is calling each of you to do and look to his strength. I think Paul at this point would step out of the crowd and grab the microphone from Gideon. And he says, you know, there's a verse that I put in scriptures. It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
That is the, the pattern of God using people throughout eternity is that when people come to a place where they recognize that they're inadequate but they serve a, a mighty God and that God can work through them, I hope each of us find that place where God wants to use us and it's about him instead of us. At this point, we, we sat down, Gideon goes and sit, and Bailey Edwards comes and shares her testimony. When, when Joe asked me to talk this morning, I decided I was going to talk about pride and laughably it was that pride that made me nervous to get up here and talk in front of all of you. Um, but I'm Bailey Edwards and I'm a freshman at UT and I grew up in the church. A lot of you know my family and I asked God to come into my heart when I was seven and from then on I was kind of what you would describe as a good kid. I never snuck around and did those things that you think of when you think of like a crazy teenager or whatever. <laughs> and um, because of that, I kind of looked around at everyone else around me, and I thought I was better than everyone else. Um, I thought that I was doing all right, how I was living, and I kind of compared myself to humanly things instead of comparing myself to the Bible and what, how Jesus lived and how we're supposed to uh, strive to be through God. And um, all of that kind of came crashing around me. <laughs> and I realized that this pride that I was feeling was a sin and that there's nothing that I could do without God in my life and that it's by his grace that he protected me from those things. It wasn't my strength and my power that was keeping me from them. And in Luke, it talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector that went to the temple. And the Pharisee was looking around, thanking God that he wasn't like these other men, the thieves and the adulterers and that sort of thing. And the tax collector um, was admitting that he was a sinner. And obviously no one liked tax collectors in those days, but he had the uh, humility to realize that what he was doing was wrong. And when we step aside and listen to God and what he wants us to do with our lives, it's so much more fruitful than anything we could do on our own. And only God could have opened my eyes to that fact. So. Awesome. Let's give it up for Bailey. You know, I love, I think Gideon and Bailey would have been good friends uh, because they both got it. It wasn't, it's not their capability, it's, it's that God can do it through them. Take your Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter 8. We meet probably the, my favorite story in all of Scripture. It's, it's following the Sermon on the Mount. And there was a man that was living in great loneliness because he was a leper. And we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 8. When he came down from the mountainside, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his, his hand and touched him, saying, 
I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus had just been on the ser- did this huge sermon on the mount. He was tired. He was come, it says he was coming down the mountain. He came down from the mountain. Great crowds followed him. And there's this one individual. And here's something I love about Jesus. Jesus never gathered a bunch of individuals to get a crowd. He gathered a crowd to get to an individual. And you're here this morning, and if you have leprosy of any kind, leprosy of any kind, Jesus loves the crowd, but he loves you. If you have a physical leprosy, something about you, or, a, or an emotional leprosy, if you have something that isolates you, that you... Because I have been a leper. There have been times, I've been here for a long time, there's been times when I've walked in and take, taken my normal seat, and I was crying out on the inside because I was all alone. But Jesus saw me in the crowd. And when I said, Lord, are you, are you willing to encounter me today? See, it was illegal for a Jew to touch a leper. Outside of touching a dead body, touching a leper was the second greatest defilement that you could encounter. Jesus could have saved himself a lot of turmoil if he would have just at a distance said, you're clean, go your way. But he walked up and he touched the leper because that leper desperately needed to be touched. And here's the deal. I believe this leper would say, I praise Jesus because he is the only one who could touch me at my deepest point of need. And the takeaway is Jesus can touch you at your point of need. Are you getting that? Whatever your need is, Joe, nobody knows what happened to me when I was a child. Nobody knows what happened to me or nobody knows this thing that I carry with me. I don't want that to ever get out. I have this need that I wake up in the middle of the night about or I have this fear about the future. I don't know what your point of need is, but God, He sees the crowd, but He sees you and He can touch you at your greatest point of need. Let's go, so the leper steps aside, and we now go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we see we've had Gideon share, we had Bailey share, we had the man with leprosy share, but now a woman shares. A woman steps to the microphone in John chapter 4, and not any woman, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan was, as probably you know, was, through their ancestry was used, some ancestry was Jewish, but they had somewhere along the line intermarried with a Gentile, a non-Jew. And the half-Jew and the half-Gentile, the mixed breed, the mixed, was kind of, they began to settle in a, co- a place called Samaria. And Jews would normally, if they could, walk around Samaria because Samaritans were detestable to pure Jewish people. 
But Jesus came and in this story is walking and he is just exploding cultural norms. And he comes in John, in John chapter 4. There's a, there's a lot more to the story than what I'll read, but let's just zero in on verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? There's several things going on in her mind. One, she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. There's a racial tension there. There's also a gender tension. She's a woman, he's a man. There's also the tension going on that once she finds out he's a holy person, she, we find out uh, in, in, the, in the discussion, she has got moral issues. She's had five, as what she got, five husbands. That Jesus said, you've had five husbands, you know. You've got some moral issues. So all this is going on. I believe, I believe the Samaritan woman would say, I, at this microphone would say, I praise the Lord Jesus because he, of his unconditional love. And I'm here to say again, if you're here this morning and no one else knows about what's going on with you, if you will get real with Jesus, the Samaritan woman could have picked up her water jar and ran back up the path and missed having a genuine encounter with Christ. See, Jesus can, you can be hearing this message and you can be saying, you know, I do have moral compromise in my life. I do have issues in my life. And Jesus can come down your aisle and down your row and he can look you in the eye and say, I want to deal with you because I love you right where you are. You can zone out and say, Lord, I've just come here because it is expected for me to be at church. It's, I like singing the songs. But there's a difference in that and having a genuine encounter with Jesus. And I'm here to say to each of you, Jesus loves each of you, and he knows you inside and out. He knows your fears. He knows your compromises. But he wants to know you genuinely. He loves you genuinely, and he wants to change you for all eternity so you have a voice at the microphone. Will you allow that kind of encounter to take place in your life? It takes vulnerability. It takes change. It takes when His Word comes, when God's Word comes and intersects your life, that you, you can either zone out and say, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to change. I'd rather just keep, I'd like to go eat my lunch, take my nap, and come back and, to a pic. I'd, but if Jesus looks you in the eye and says, I would like to give you some living water that will so quench your thirst that it will blow your mind. That's the kind of love Jesus has for you. And at that point, the woman sits down and T.J. Whaley steps to the microphone. Good morning, church. I just want to say God is not capricious. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. 
The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, is the God today. The stories that we read about in the Old Testament, it's the same God that deals in their lives today. I was in Haiti on a mission trip. We were doing medical missionary trips. This was my third trip to Haiti. We'd seen a lot of blessings. We've seen a lot of good come out of these trips. On this particular day of clinics, we saw a man push his way to the front of the crowd with his 18-month-old daughter in his arms. She looked lifeless. Her vital signs were low. And all he wanted to do was for somebody to heal his daughter. We were not an ER staff. We were there for primary general care. We took that young girl later on the table, and we noticed that she had bracelets up and down her arms where the father had taken her to the voodoo priest, and the voodoo priest said, there's nothing we can do for her. Folks, there was nothing we could do for her, so we prayed. We let the nurses attend to that young lady, and we prayed. Before the end of the day, praise God, that young girl had her life come back into her. She was eating and drinking. She was opening her eyes. Her father rushed over to her side and proceeded to cut all those bracelets and bands off of her arms. He changed her name to Hope because that was a living testimony for the God on high, the one with the power. And it was that day that God spoke to my heart and said, son, there's nothing that I'm going to ask you to do to step out in faith that I'm not going to back you up. And that is the day that I learned that if we're obedient to God and we step out, he's not expecting us to perform anything on our own strength, but he is going to supply everything that we need right on time. Amen. Get up for TJ. Take your Bible and turn over to Mark chapter 5. This is the story about a man who had a lot of darkness in his life. See, he was demon-possessed. In Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Do you see verse 5? Let's read that again. Night and day among the tombs. He lived among the tombs and the mountains where other people went. He was always crying out and cutting himself. This man had a world of hurt and a world 
our problems, but he met Jesus, and the, the Lord cast these demons out. And let's go to verse 15. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid. They didn't know what was going on. Um, I believe Jesus, he would have told us at the microphone that Jesus was the only one that could bring him peace. And the application to you and me is what are you dealing with? This world, you may have been to friends, you may have been to even pastors or doctors or whatever, uh, and all those things are good. But ultimately, the thing that I I believe the demon-possessed man would say to you and I would be, no matter how deep your darkest, how deep your darkness is, no matter if you're crying out day and night and you have found no help, there is one, there's one that can help you, and that's Jesus. And he can bring you peace if you allow him to enter into your situation. And again, I don't know what you're dealing with. The darkest, darkness is a, is a really mean taskmaster, and it, we can all find ourselves there. And we can find ourselves in very, very difficult situations. But I believe the testimony that we can have today from this testimony in Mark is that you are not beyond hope. And God loves you, and through his power and his strength, he can bring you to a place where you'll have a testimony about how he delivered you. What a great, great thing. Mike Pappas, come follow up the, the testimony. When I was 11 years old, my family was traveling on vacation from Fort Wayne, Indiana to uh, California, and we were involved in an accident, and my dad was killed instantly, and my mom died about a week later. And my two sisters and I moved to uh, New Jersey to be raised by my aunt and uncle. And during those times, it, it, it was a place to live, but it was kind of, uh, it wasn't like it was with my parents. It, we just kind of were there. We never really felt very loved. And uh, we were, sometimes we felt like we were almost like uh, you see on shows where the servant children, you know, do this, clean this, paint, do all those things. Um, but we did, while we were there, did come to know the Lord. Uh, went to my aunt's church and I got saved when I was 12. And my sisters were saved in a, in a Bible camp. And then eventually we worked at that camp. And through that camp, uh, I met a girl, Sharon Schultz. And this was Sue's sister who I wanted to date, but she didn't really want to date me. I ended up dating Sue, and she says, she says, uh, she chased me till I caught her, and, and we came here to Calvary uh, Baptist Church over 30 years ago, and we really didn't have any family. Uh, her family was in, in Africa, and my, my parents were deceased, and my, my sister, I have two sisters that are younger, and they live, one lives in California, and one lives in, in Boston, and we weren't close at that time. We're much closer now, so I praise the Lord for that. Um, and, and uh, the joke is that Sue and I have, have had many good years. So I said like 1985 and 2002. And, uh, anyway, that's a, so much for that. Uh, 
But what, what God did do, he brought us to Calvary Baptist Church, and uh, we started coming here, and we got involved uh, going to Sunday school and, and meeting people, and, uh, and Calvary became our family. And, and I've said this for many years, Thanksgiving times, Joe knows, I'd stand up, that we have come to love so many people in this, in this congregation, and we've given our lives here, and we love uh, the people here. The Lord's blessed our lives beyond any, any comprehension that we could, we could possibly have. And we're just so blessed. So I encourage you to become involved and to, to get to know the people that are here. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ and, and encourage each other. And, and, and if I can encourage you in any way, that'd be my, my privilege and, and pleasure. And I have just two verses. And uh, one is Galatians 6.10. It's, it says, as much as you have opportunity, do good unto all men, and especially those of the household of faith, especially each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and I would tell you, if Kevin, you've got a flat tire at 3 o'clock in the morning, you call me because I'll, I'll come out there and, and do that. And, and the other one is our life verse is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And then fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Amen. You know, one of the things that uh, I've heard Mike's testimony, I know, uh, what an incredible testimony. One of the kind of reoccurring themes is, is one thing to, 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 to have a thunderstorm and to be in darkness, but God doesn't want you to dwell there. God wants to bring you out. For a young, young child that loses his mom and dad, God has a hope for that child. Or uh, a, a demon-possessed that met Christ or a Samaritan woman. I guess the theme of this morning is God is so awesome. And so God is so, and I believe that when we, Revelation 19, is that we're going to stand before God and be praising God, and I think there's not going to be any tears in heaven, but won't it be sad that if you struggled with an addiction and all of a sudden these thousands of people are talking about how God delivered these people from addiction, and you say, why did I live with that addiction for all those years? Why couldn't I find God's sufficiency in that? Or, hey, my spouse left me, or my, I had this happen to me, and I was physically attacked, and, but God's sufficiency was good for them. Why couldn't I appropriate that? The thing is, I hope this morning, is how great God is, and if you can encounter Jesus, he can do more than you can imagine. He sees your hidden potential. He wants to bring you out of the wine press. He wants to put you into his service for a purpose. But again, you say, well, Joe, I would like to, but I've so messed up. You don't understand. I've denied the Lord again and again. And that's why we're going to let one of the great saints uh, step to the microphone. We'll finish with him, uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 16. See, in Mark chapter 14, they were all together before the Jesus goes to the cross, and they said, you're going to deny me 
Jesus lets Peter know, you're going to, before the cock crows two times, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, Peter's saying, they're going, no, that's never going to happen. I'll even die for you. But sure enough, Peter denies Jesus three times. And it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 72, it says, before the rooster crowed three, twice, he, he, you will deny me three times. And it says he broke down and wept. This is after he denied him and he's remembering the words of Jesus. And it says he broke down and he wept. He broke down. Peter, the rock, broke down. I don't care what a rock you are, we all break down at some point in time. And we do weep. But I'm here to tell you that Peter found that Jesus was the God of a second chance. Because after the resurrection in Mark 16, we see that at the tomb, that an angel speaks to the women at the tomb. And this is what they say beginning in verse 6. And he said to them, the angel, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. So the place where you, they, see the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as you've been told. And I always love this, and I've shared this before, that that angel was told by God, you go and tell the apostles these words. Tell them the disciples and Peter. Because Peter desperately needed to hear his name. And I'm here to say to you, I believe Peter, Peter just, his heart rejoiced that the Lord was giving him a second chance. And I'm here to tell you the final testimony today is whatever you've done, the Lord wants to re-engage you and rework in your life. You are not too far gone. And he wants to do something in you that you will have a place at the microphone that you will have a place at the microphone. I'm going to ask our band to come up and get ready to sing a song. And I just want to review what we've talked about. And I'd just like for you to kind of be in a spirit of prayer right now and just look on the screen. I just want to remind you that God sees your hidden potential. God sees your hidden potential and wherever you may be hiding in a wine press right now and, and you're afraid of the Midianites, you're afraid of the Malachites, and I don't know what that is for you, but God sees your hidden potential. Jesus can touch you at your point of need. If you, wherever that is, he doesn't want to just speak to you. He wants to engage you and touch you at that point of need. Jesus knows everything about you, and he loves you right where you are. You're not too far gone. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he can bring you peace. He brought peace to the demoniac, and he can bring peace to you. And God is willing to give you a second chance. Why? Let's look at one last verse, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. Go back there with me. In Revelation 19, I want to remind you of verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation, glory, 
and power belong to our God. This morning, you may need salvation. May salvation for the first time to become a believer and a follower of Jesus, you need to commit your life to Him. Or maybe the kind of salvation that says, you know, I need to reappropriate. I need to, I need to be saved from the power of sin. I need to be saved by the Lord from that thing that's just eating my lunch. Maybe this morning you just need to, to just to give God that glory that is His. That your life has been about you. It's been about something, a substance, or a, a trying to bring yourself fame. And you need to start saying, Lord, not only does salvation belong to you, but glory belongs to you. But thirdly, the power. Maybe this morning you need to say, you know, that same power that that touched the Samaritan woman, that touched the demoniac. I need that power in my life desperately. We're going to open the altars up here. And if you need salvation, you need to give God, you need to recommit yourself to giving God glory in your life, or you need just to appropriate His power in your life. You come and you kneel. If you need us, we're here for you. But if you just want to pray, one day we're going to stand before the throne, but may we live the kind of life now that we have a testimony to share. Would you stand with me?